0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls, instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip. That we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about how to teach the Catholic faith to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers, and really anybody you encounter. We want to empower you to have the knowledge of the truth and the love of God so that you may bring others to Him. Your hosts today are Doug, Barry, and myself, Father Justin Braun. And today we're going to be talking about the sacred liturgy, uh, a topic that is always near and dear to the heart of Doug and I, and particularly looking at the season of Lent, really, as it it begins to unfold on us uh, with Ash Wednesday, um, seeking to kind of Look at where the Church's liturgy itself, as mother and teacher, is instructing us, uh, what themes are present there, how the physical and, uh, and spiritual kind of come together, as, as they do, as we are, you know, body and soul, that within the context of the sacred liturgy, she herself, the, the Church, is trying to lead us, you know, to the joy of the resurrection um, and we really want to just kind of broaden that to, to an understanding of how to live our discipleship through a deeper love of the sacred liturgy. Um, and it's it's really always fun to kind of go around the, the churches and the diocese, and, and I've never been there during that time, but during uh, Lent in Rome, there's the Stational church, church Visitations, and you get to see a little bit of the local flavor of how each parish uh, looks at the the instructions that are given by the church as general norms and then how they're applied and so it'll be fun to, to hear from Doug maybe you could tell us some of your fun Nebraska stories about <laughs> what church looked like for you as a kid going to Lent
0: my Nebraska sweatshirt on today yes proudly representing the
1: Huskers <laughs> today and uh, and I'll talk a little bit about yeah my life here in East Texas and then kind of the experiences outside of uh, the, the piney woods but really we we're looking to offer um, to all of our listeners, uh, an opportunity to maybe be more attentive even just to the liturgy itself throughout the season of Lent. Maybe you can't go to daily Mass all the time, which we'll talk about that too, but um, how the readings themselves instruct us and, and really just kind of better appreciating okay, the Church makes a pretty big deal about Lent, right? Mm -hmm. And the past three podcasts here on our our channel have been about Lent, and um, we want to continue to just invite everybody into having a deeper appreciation of what the Church is trying to guide us towards in all this. So um, before we jump into our kind of first big broad topic, I I did want to ask you, Doug, are you ready? I mean, it's Tuesday. It's Fat Tuesday. (laughs) Are you ready? Tomorrow it all begins. Yeah, I'm ready.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I do. I, I mean, I love this time. I, I do. Um, you know, <clears throat> growing up as a kid, you you have the, you know, what are you going to give up for Lent, you know, sort of questions to get out there. And I am going to give up chocolate, you know, I'm going to give up uh, chewing gum, ice cream, things mm. like that. And, you know, hopefully we go deeper than that as we get older and we start to really open up and explore a little more, unfold, peel the onion back, you know, those little metaphors that talk about really getting into what it really is about. Right you know, the church has, you know, you kind of have these two main, you know, sections of, of the year. You have Advent and you have Lent, and they're two major sections of preparation right. for something amazing. And they're very connected, Right. ultimately, because the birth of Jesus was for the purpose of him laying his life down on the cross and rising from the grave. So you have this deep connection between Advent and Lent in that respect. And, and so I, I love Lent because it's a time where you get to kind of gear up, you get to roll up your sleeves, you kind of Get ready for that fight, you know, uh, because it is a spiritual battle. And, and really what struck me, and I'm going to jump ahead in the show here too much, Father, okay. but what really struck me was the year, the day, the moment, and I don't remember when it was, it was years ago, though, that I, I really paid attention to the fact that before Jesus began his public ministry, he went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights mm-hmm. and fasted and prayed. And it was so intense and so powerful that the devil himself comes to our Lord to tempt him. Mm-hmm. And he throws Scripture at him. He throws the Word of God at him as a, as a way to try to twist, you know. Right. And, uh, and our Lord responds with Scripture, you know, and authority, and it's powerful. But that whole mindset that, that kind of sunk into me of our Lord did this for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was preparing for the public ministry aspect, the battle, where He would, which would culminate in him giving his life and then rising from the grave and really sealing the deal of our salvation... If we would be wise enough to accept that that gift. Mm. But that was really a major part for me. So you asked me, am I ready? I am more so than I ever have been in my in my previous years, because I see it for that now and as that, as this moment of preparing for a serious spiritual battle.
1: Yeah, man. And I I I'm with you. I think the years of advancing through uh, my own discipleship and, and through seminary and priesthood. Um I was just visiting with one of my brother priests this morning and kind of like I said, hey, are you ready? And he said, yeah. Um, what are you giving up? And he's like, ah. I mean, we kind of, not not a, in a braggadocious way, but we, we really both try to embrace, as you and I have talked mm. about, Exodus 365. Yeah, like yeah, you're right, yeah. The, the, this time of year, there's going to be some little things that may change just to, you know, more deepen our mortifications or adding some extra times of intentional prayer. But, right. um but this great joy of, of living our life for God, um, constantly being conscientious and and more mindful of how we are following Him. Yeah. You know, it does. It's just fun because I was telling him it's it's nice because it seems like everybody else is kind of on the same page for a while, which yeah. is really it's yeah. exciting to see the the young kids in your parish getting excited. You know, I I teach a lot of uh, formation, and young kids telling me, Father, I'm going to be giving up this or that for you know. They're excited. They're genuinely excited, and even if it's something yeah silly. Um, in my mind, in their mind it's huge. And right. the fact that there's a desire to give it up and they actually can even articulate and kind of name, Yeah, I'm doing this because I love Jesus and I, I want to get closer to him and I'm okay. Awesome. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have some fun this afternoon talking about uh, all these themes, but uh, we're gonna kinda go right into this, this big question of, you know, so there's guidelines, you know, that the the liturgy is not the product of, of my Feelings on a Sunday morning. Thanks be to God. Right, you know, I and mean, we've talked about that before, and we'll open that up a little bit more. But you know, the, the priest doesn't have the right to impose his will on the people of God when it comes to the sacred liturgy. The right. sacred liturgy is given to us by God through the Church and the authority of the Church, and so we have, um, you know, books that teach us and tell us what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, you know, famously, it's do the red, say the black. Um, it. Keeps you out of trouble because you're doing exactly what the Church tells you to do. But but behind even the Missal um, that we use in our daily daily Mass um, is the the general instructions of the Roman Missal, and, and that and some other legislative texts that the, the the Vatican have published over the years help to guide and give us a, an insight into the themes of the seasons that we're celebrating. And um, this special character of, of Lent is... For me, emphasized in two ways. One is silence, mm. and the other one is a deprivation of, you know, joy, but not to the point of extinguishing the joy. But in a way, more faithfully building up the reason for the joy. Mm. So, you know, I'll get we'll get into practical examples in a little bit. But I, I'll take that. And then I want to kind of turn it to you and ask you what the season of Lent through the Mass kinda of helps you better understand. But silence first is, you know, in the general instructions of the Roman Missal, I think it's number fifty-six, it, it talks about the need for silence um to promote meditation. And uh very often, Doug, you know this. If you go you, I mean daily masses, it's even more obvious sometimes, but Sunday Masses there's no quiet. Mm, it's like the reader know. gets done and says the, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And that psalm is rocking and rolling yeah. immediately. And then the psalm's done, and then second reader's already pounding into it. And then as soon as the second reader finishes you know their last breath, the Alleluia is already going. And so there's just th- this r- no time to meditate on the word yeah. of God. And the beauty of the Lenten liturgy is that it demands... Hmm. That meditation. Yeah. Um, it does that in a couple of ways. It wanted. It says there's to be no instrumental music that does not accompany the voice. So mm. you're not going to have musical interludes. You're not going to have a huge build up to a, an Alleluia acclamation or mm. even the psalm itself. Really, ideally, is just chanted a cappella yeah. um, because it permits more of the silence to resonate around the word. Um, and so that's that's one of the things that I think. Really continues to speak to me as a priest is helping you, helping the faithful to better appreciate the power of silence, right. right within the liturgy itself. Um, and then talking a little bit about that that suspended joy. So we so we don't do the Alleluia, we don't do the Gloria, the the settings of the Mass themselves, the um, the Canon. Uh, I'm sorry, the Eucharistic prayer. Um, with the prefaces proper to the season, mm. talk about fasting, mortification, almsgiving, um, and prayer. You know, it kind of just keeps pounding those themes into our head um, in light of the hope of the resurrection, right? right. And so instead of having a, a maybe a, an artificial joy, which sometimes I think we, we are all guilty of, we kind of just put the—we fake it till we make it, right? Yeah, we right. smile <laughs> so that people will leave us alone— yeah. um, <laughs> what the church's liturgy is kind of calling us into is, okay, we've got to really actually meditate on the fact that Christ died for our sins, and we are called to imitate him, to take up our cross, to endure our sufferings and follow him. And the liturgy is providing that literally in the word of God, like reading through Isaiah and reading mm-hmm. the suffering servant, um, and then in the gospels just kind of seeing the buildup to the great you know, it, the, the great days of the Passion Um that we constantly are kind of encountering that need to let go of the illusion of joy we have in things of the world and really focus on the joy we actually have in the hope that comes from the gospel. Um, So I've blabbered for a little bit. I just want to kind of turn to you for a little bit and, um, yeah, just kind of put that question to you. You know, how has the season of Lent as a man, as a father, as a husband, Um, in the mass itself how has it kind of helped shape your discipleship what are you what are themes that you see that kind of shape
0: well the one the one thing is the first thing you brought up about silence is is uh i mean that's that's gotten that has become more and more important to me as it should for all of us you know we live in a world where we're inundated with noise and distraction and it has crept into the mass to where you're right one thing just follows the other and there's no peace and when I, i i see places all over the country when i travel you know, for conferences or rallies or wherever I'm at, where very seldom do you have, even at the time of Holy Communion, um, much time at all after communion is over mm-hmm. for us just to sit. We've just received Jesus. I mean, right. He's physically still in us mm-hmm. until that, what, 15 to 20 minutes or so that the, the, for, the, for the natural aspects of the host to break down, the accents of the host. But in that time period, what a moment just to have that time of silence. But instead we're looking at the watches, we're wanting to check our phone. We're so caught up in these things that when Lent comes along and when it's done right, and you know what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some places it isn't done right. We're following what the church has wanted us to do and what our Lord really is reaching out for us to do is is to choose to set those things aside and have the time of silence. And hopefully that becomes three sixty five then mm-hmm. uh, our whole life, where we set time aside every day for the silence to be with God. You know the famous you know passage in the Old Testament of Elijah going off into the cave to search for God, trying to find God, hear God. It wasn't in the earthquake, it wasn't in the storms and the winds and all this. It was in the it was in the whisper. Mm-hmm. and And you can't hear a whisper unless there's silence. If there's too much noise going on, you're not going to hear the guy whispering across the room. You can be standing right next to somebody whispering. But even within a couple of feet, if there's all kinds of noise and they're choosing to be distracted by the things around them, they don't hear the whisper. And if God's really, truly trying to whisper to our hearts, really down deep inside the core of who we are as men and women of all ages, then we have to choose this. That's one of the things I really like about Lent and the way the liturgy is celebrated at this time. When you do remove certain aspects to allow, as you said, Father, time for silence, for deeper reflection were built for this. Mm. You know, one of the things that really struck me years ago, I read a book, I was challenged to read this book, Fire Within, by Father Thomas Dubé. Great book, yeah. Oh my goodness. On the contemplative life of John, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, who were good friends, both mystics, both saints, both doctors of the church. Wow. <laughs> Imagine, hang out with the right people, you know. Right. And uh, they, both, uh, they both speak so powerfully of the fact that contemplative life is not just for religious. Everybody has an aspect of them that has to have that contemplative side. And Lent gives us an opportunity for that. I just encourage anybody listening or watching right now to really look at the day. And those of us who are lay people, I mean, it's easy for us to be so distracted with kids and extracurricular activities. And, and anybody can do this, but as, as a lay people, we, well, you know, it's, uh, it's different for me than you, Father. You have to have your hour of adoration. Mm-hmm. You have to pray the, the hours, and, and you have to have your, you know, your, your readings. Yeah, but you know what? I've got other things to take care of. It's like, are you kidding me? There's nothing more important. No. I need, to, I, need to, I need to take time every day to talk to my wife. Mm-hmm. I need to take time every day, set everything aside just to make sure that she knows whether it's a phone call or whether if I'm out of town or something or whether, you know, if I'm home, we need to make time every day to be in the presence of each other. At the dinner table, in the living room, sitting in the same room, both reading, both praying, maybe praying together, praying apart from each other. But we're, we're there. Right. And we make the time we don't just have to we don't want to just fall into it we make the time for it so lent to me opportunity the liturgy the way it's celebrated during lent great time for us to just really look at am i allowing the distractions to consume me am i consuming these things so much that they're consuming me now or am i setting those things aside and letting the silence these moments of peace and reflection allow me to go deeper am i choosing to go deeper because if i don't i'm missing out and then that joy part you mentioned, just real quick on that comes to mind, is you're right, superficial joy. Hey, how's it going? Hey, everything's really good. Inside, where's my heart, though? Mm-hmm. Is my heart really in, in this moment of joy? And the, true, the truest joy is when you're with the one that you love the most. Even when they're suffering and they're in pain, you're with them because you know there's something about this relationship that must be must be embraced and must be nurtured and cared for.
1: Yeah, and I'm so thankful to God. Like it, It's been a, a whirl... Whirlwind of sorts at times, trying to figure out how do you, how do you explain to you know the six-year-olds, and then you're talking to the at the school, and then you're talking to the eighth graders, and then you're talking to the college kids, and you know, it's breaking it down as simply as possible. I think that's the beauty of the church. At mm-hmm. Church's teaching is that she really is just trying to emphasize very simply through the instructions she gives us for this season, is to really focus on that silence, mm-hmm. to focus on not being distracted by sights and sounds and smells and bells and all the things that, right. that do make the liturgy in so many ways very beautiful, but kind of stripping it down to its essence and what it's supposed to do is to bring us into an encounter with, with the living God, to hear the whispering voice and yeah. the stillness of our hearts. And so... Um, I think encounter is a great word to think <clears throat> about. Yeah. Deepen
0: that, that encounter with the living God.
1: Yeah. and I, So where are we going to go? To encounter the living god so we we have the gift of the eucharist we have our, our lord body blood soul and divinity that's a prisoner in the tabernacle <laughs> and waiting for us to come visit him yeah. um but even in our homes we kind of have to, we, we look at how the liturgy affects us in the proper prayer of it but then we take from the liturgy we take from the gift of the eucharist into our homes and one of the things that i, I friends of mine have done this before and and i think it's genius is they they do a little ceremony where they they write out alleluia on a piece of paper and on Ash Wednesday, um, they take, you know, with their kids, they go out and they bury that piece of paper. Hmm. Um, don't dig a deep hole or anything, and, and, but they bury that piece of paper. They give a little catechesis to their children about what they're doing, why they're doing it. Um, and then on Easter Sunday morning, um, they go back and they dig up that piece of paper. And, hmm. you know, it's covered in dirt and it's kind of faded or whatever, but... What a way of reinforcing the joy of yeah. of Easter, yeah. uh, but also recognizing in a, in a physical way. And we need this as humans. We need physical things to remind us, like, yeah, we're going to enter into this season of, of penance. We're going to enter into this time in which we're not singing the joy of hallelujah because we are anticipating the joy of the Alleluia. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of practical things that, that roll out from what the liturgy is telling us to do. Um, so I talked about a little bit about the general instructions of the Roman Missal, or, or for short, it's the GERM. Mm. Uh, it's one of my favorite acronyms, because <laughs> uh, we just say it's germy, you know, in seminary. But uh, kind of looking at the famous maxim, Lex orandi, Lex Credendi, how we pray is how we believe. Um, and the shape of the liturgy in this season takes on some some other particular notes that I'm going to kind of talk about, and then I want to kind of just get your reaction, really, just in, in turn. And these are things that I know you, at least at some level, of recognized, but mm-hmm. maybe it's not been point, pointed to you, and I, I, that's one of the things we're trying to do is teach people how to, how to talk about this. So sure. first one I'm thinking of is no flowers, No flowers during Lent. That's in the general instructions of the Roman Missal, with Hmm. the exception of solemnities and the fourth Sunday of uh, Lent, which is called Laetare Sunday. It's during uh, Advent. The second Sunday is uh, Gaudete, uh, or third Sunday, I'm sorry, is Gaudete Sunday. But the Church specifically says there's to be no flowers during the season of Lent to adorn the altar, to adorn the sanctuary. And I'll be honest with you, I mean— as a young dude, I, I could care less. Like, <laughs> I, you know, as a 10 year old boy, I don't even know that there's flowers up there, honestly. Right. Yeah. And you probably didn't notice. I either. didn't pay that extension over. <laughs> right. 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 And then as you get older and maybe for you is because, Oh, I got to buy flowers for my wife. For me, it was just, man, there's a lot of roses. up yeah. there. You know, Easter and Christmas, you kind of get hit yeah. in the face with all the flowers, but the rest of the year, you're kind of like, okay, don't even notice it. But, but it became very stark to me. I remember in mm. seminary, man, there's, there's a lack of of liveliness. Hmm. Um, that the fact that we use real flowers, not flake, fake mm-hmm. flowers, for example, but just the fact that there's there's not that living beauty around the altar. There there's there's something missing there. Yeah. Um, it 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 struck me. I was like, oh, well, this is. I'm thinking about that. Maybe the first time I encounter it, but I'm also thinking about okay, why would the church say to take these hmm. things away? um and so you read a little bit about the history and I, I i did that in my spare time and to a great degree it it's again it's a, an opportunity to silence the noise of our senses yeah you know to instead of having my eyes averted towards the flowers my eyes are focused much more solely on the altar itself you know the altar in which Christ's death on the cross is made present to us in an unbloody manner as the All catechism right. says but also that my eyes are, in a sense, more supernaturally oriented towards the host—that the, the Lord's coming to me in the living bread that right. comes down from heaven. So, taking up that theme of something living at the altar, well, the most alive thing at the altar is the consecrated host. Know, right. the, it's God incarnate amongst us, and that was just a, a big eye opener for me. But yeah, I'm, I'm asking you, and I'm kind of looking at you. I'm like. I don't know that you probably didn't. Maybe no, you didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's no flowers. No, no
0: I, I was not aware that that was in the uh, that was in the instruction that that was supposed to be the case, and it makes sense. You know, as Jesus is stripped of his garments, we are to be stripped mm-hmm. of, of the worldliness. We're supposed to make room for for God and in all ways, and even good things and flowers are good. Right. They're, beautiful. they're beautiful, right? But removing them and and stripping that away does allow us to focus. It's like in any room, like right now I'm staring at a shelf, a series of shelves with all kinds of equipment and everything on it. If you were to take everything off the shelf except one camera or one set of headphones, I, I'd only see that. Mm. It, it allows you clearly to focus when you remove the other things, even, even though the other things aren't bad. Right. So you're right. I, that's a really great, great point there is it allows us to see the most alive thing there at that moment is obviously our Lord. Right, body, blood, soul, and divinity.
1: Praise be God. But yeah. there's a there's a, a another sense of when the church asks us to do something like that, it it, it also requires an interior asceticism for the mm-hmm. priest, because you know. Most people probably don't even know that instruction exists, right? And then on top of that, well, what if I just want a little bit of decoration? Is nobody, you know, no, it's Father, it's clear. It says there is to be no floral decoration at hmm. the altar and, and to adorn the sanctuary. So it, takes that option and says, no. So I have to die to myself a little bit if I think, oh, it would be really nice if, you know, because out here in East Texas, for example, azaleas come into bloom basically during the Lenten season, kind of right around Easter. So it is cool that (laughs) at Easter we get these beautiful, big azaleas. But even before then, they're starting to bloom. It'd be really nice to put some azaleas around, the. but no, the Lord's calling all of us through the liturgy to adore Him, to not adore the azaleas, to not adore the roses, and to, to take away from the obsession of the physical elements of the liturgy and focus on the spiritual elements of the liturgy. So that's, that's one example. Um, Another example in the general instructions that, again, I don't know that a lot of people um, notice this, but, and I mentioned it earlier, but there's only to be instrumental music that complements vocal music. Um, So in other words, there are no interludes. There's no music that's supposed to be playing unless somebody's singing. Hmm. Um, And this can become a challenge in some places because people are so used to that noise. They're so used to communion being consumed. Even if they only sing one song, well the organist or the piano player continues to play until communion's done and Father's sat down in his seat and the church is saying explicitly, like, you can can sing the entire time, but you have to be singing. You can't Mm. just be playing music. And so... What we see adopted a lot of times in parishes is a, a more simple approach during the season of Lent, maybe to do more a cappella, sometimes to do the Latin parts, which is, is nice. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't associate Latin with penance, by the way. Uh, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's a <laughs> no, good thing. It's a not. great thing. But, it but the idea of, okay, what's the Church, again, trying to say with, with this depriving us of some of the sensory enjoyment mm-hmm. of the liturgy? Well, again... It's just saying you need to focus on God. Yeah, go you deeper. Go deeper. Let that living tabernacle that you are after communion be adored. Let Christ be adored in you with your whole mind, your whole body, your whole whole soul, like to not be distracted about which page in the misalit you need to flip to to sing along with the All song, right. but to rather let this silence settle in. Um, so just curious for you, you know, how how do you you know, maybe in the midst of the distraction of music, but even more so knowing that, you know, that you go into the Lent with a desire to go deeper. How do you kind of take that time of Thanksgiving after receiving communion? Like, what's that process look like? Because I think it'd be helpful for people who are going to experience this silence. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, now I've got maybe two to seven minutes of silence while communion is being distributed. What do I do? Yeah, uh,
0: for me, I mean, you know, the word solemn comes to mind. It's a solemn moment. It's it's a it's a it's a reflection. Um, uh, you know, on a natural level, I think a lot of people get kind of antsy. You know, we get antsy <laughs> if I'm not doing something, and a lot of people got that 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 knee shake thing mm-hmm. going. You see people sitting there, and they're just
1: restless legs, restless
0: syndrome. legs syndrome, I guess. Yeah, I call it that. But they're just they're ready to they're ready to go. I'm at mass, and I'm ready to move on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You have to take a deep breath. Like for me, we, we start slowing down like that. I just have to just breathe in, take a deep breath, let it out, relax, and know, just know. It has to be a to me, it has to be an, an actual decision, choice you're making inside. I know I'm here. I know what this I'm supposed to know what this is about, what's going on here. I know I've just received Jesus. Although that leads to the problem of people not believing Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist, and then they don't know that they've really received Jesus, Right. that's another podcast. I think we did something on that once. We did once. Yeah. But we'll go back
1: to it. But, sure. you know,
0: the fact that this is Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. This isn't a new Jesus. It isn't a different moment. If This is this is Calvary has come to us again. We've stepped on a Calvary again here. Yeah. The curtain has been pulled back at the moment of consecration. We're at Calvary. We've received Jesus. Take a deep breath. Right. And choose to just relax. And just let this, especially during this time, and then hopefully it carries over into the rest of the year where we take these moments just to relax. So for me, physically, mentally, emotionally, I have to just take a deep breath, relax, and thank God that I have these few moments. Mm -hmm. I wish they were more. I wish they were longer now. When I was Mm -hmm. younger, yeah, I'm restless, I want to go, because I'm an intense guy, I got energy, I'm ready to go. But boy, at a time like this when I have to sit back and relax, take that deep breath and just, just accept, I've just received Jesus. This is the moment. I'm going to take this in. We don't have these moments very much in our life, Father. You know that. No. And, and I just encourage the listeners out there, those watching, look, we don't have these moments. When we stand before God, we will wish we had taken this time at these moments that we have just received Jesus in communion and really breathe that in. Stand before God, we're not going to be thinking about, oh, I didn't, I didn't close another business deal. You know, I didn't get to that sporting event. Oh, I didn't play another tournament. Oh, I missed out on this, this, this of this world. We're gonna, we're gonna think, oh wow, I should have, I should have taken those moments to prepare for this moment, mm-hmm. the most important day of my life, the day I die and stand before God. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take that for granted. But having that opportunity to receive communion, receive our Lord Holy Communion, and then those few moments afterwards to take that deep breath and breathe that in, is my, is my encounter, my connection with heaven at that moment yeah ah just i don't want to miss that
1: heaven meets earth that's yeah. the, that's the glory of the of the liturgy and the glory of god made manifest to us and take a deep breath relax people
0: right. yeah breathe
1: yeah. it in yeah as a, and has a you know as a priest it, it it's the busiest time of mass in a sense you know mm. to distribute communion to come back to the altar to um, purify the sacred vessels to do that reverently and well yeah. not in a hasty fashion but kind of having that sense that, okay, people are waiting, you know, they're waiting mm-hmm. for me to get done. Um, I was very impressed, and I did a total shout-out to our bishop, but about a year and a half ago, he really, he, he and I were talking, and he said, he just said, I, I'm i going to start really having an intentional pregnant pause after communion. Hmm. Um, and I said, okay, awesome. We have to, like— Thumbs up, Bishop. That's a great idea. I think it's desperately needed. Um, you will probably run into some people that are going to be upset or probably, you know, <laughs> are going to be like, hey, what's with all the silence? And, and and to his credit, you know, a, a year and a half later, I know it's Sunday Masses, that's still what he's doing. He <laughs> visits every parish, and it's it's awkward if you're not used to it. I think, God willing, the people at the cathedral at least are used to it. But, yeah. but just the reality is, is that he is leading by that example. And so as a priest, when I get done with the purification of the vessels and I go back to the, the chair and sit for a little bit, um, I'm obviously trying to be conscientious of yeah. my Lord and my God. And I,
0: I want to say I love it when a priest does that. I really appreciate it. he's sitting down – Everything has stopped now. All the vessels are purified. Music stopped. Music done. stopped. And I, I sometimes, because you're used to them, just the priest just right. a lot of times. jump back up. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. But boy, when I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, he's taking some time. Oh man, now I can I can take that. I can take another breath. I can mm. I can breathe a little bit more now. This moment in, and you know what? I had to come to that. I had to come to accept that. Again, I know there are people out there. They're busy. They're doers, and they think that's the way to go. You know, we just got to go all the time. And I said, yeah, no, 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 no. Except if Father has taken that moment to sit there and, and, and breathe this in, do the same thing. Because I, I just want to acknowledge you, Father. I thank you for doing that. And I thank priests who do do that. And I encourage other priests, don't worry about what the crowd's thinking and feeling. We need this. We're built for, for this moment right. of silence and reflection, just like we're built for... You know, seventy-five percent more made up of water and all this. You know, what I mean, and we need water, to right. be hydrated. Well, we need silence and peace, and sometimes, sometimes it's got to be kind of imposed on us right. gently, and it's only for a few minutes, for heaven's sake.
1: Right. It's really not that long, and technically, it is for heaven's sake. So. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> <I> like that. Like <laughs> that. I remember in the seminary during Lent, we would uh, we would eat. I think two nights a week, maybe three nights a week, in silence mm. and. Wow they would read um, not the whole time but they would read for maybe like the last 10 minutes from either the rule of St. Benedict or from some writings of some saints and what a what an instruction that was and again it stems out of the liturgy and I know mon- the monastics do this year round mm-hmm. all the time but, yeah. but just even in a diocesan setting in a, di- in a seminary um, to take that time at what is normally a very conversational time to, to have a meal um, and to place it in the, in the presence of God and so how that again carries out and I'm thinking about our, our listeners practical practicalities father what do you what can we do? Mm-hmm. One recommendation would be just maybe at least one meal a week at home um, that instead of you know going through a long conversation with you and your spouse or with you and your kids um, to have have that time but then at the end of the meal, instead of jumping up and going back to, you know, recording podcasts or, uh, you know, whatever you got to answering 500 emails and and your wife's going to go, you know, take care of 1,700 things, like, let's take an extra 10 minutes and maybe either listen to a a reflection on the readings or to read together the Mm -hmm. gospel for the coming Sunday, you know, at least building that in to where once a week you're, you're... again, reigniting, making a spiritual communion in that time mm. with our Lord in the Eucharist, because the, the, that's, that's what the Church is desiring for us, is that we come back to the source and summit of our joy. Yeah. Um, and so that's something you can do at home relatively easily. So sure. um, I want to talk about one other kind of aspect of, of the Lenten liturgical life, and then we're going to get into the final uh, points on this uh, podcast. But it's the covering of statues, Mm, you know, yeah, um, as the boy from the South that I am, uh, this really always threw me off as a kid. And, <laughs> and it's sure, I'm sure, I know I asked my priests, "Hey, why do we do that? And you know I had an Irish priest my first 15 years and I had a, a, a native Texan the next 15 years. and they probably told me exactly what I've been reading, but I don't remember. <laughs> um, and I kind of feel like I'm like most Catholics out there like, oh, statues are covered something's happening um but yeah so the instructions something's going on yeah here. something's going on here but the instructions are are pretty clear and the general instructions are on missile again um in the season of lent that you can starting with the fifth sunday of lent um cover all the statues um and it's not rocket science why are we covering the statues mm-hmm. To, again, kind of focus us interiorly and through our senses on our Lord right. alone. Right. Um, to kind of, these are goods, as we're talking about. It's not that any of these things are bad, but these things can become a source of distraction. So it's a really intense thing. I can say from the priest perspective to cover all the statues in a church, like it mm. takes time. I, I'm, hey, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't do it by myself. I do it with a team of people, and <laughs> depending on the size of the church, you, you could be talking. I think of St. John Cantius in Chicago. There's probably 300 statues in that place, <sighs> right? Like it's, it's insane. Or think about St. Peter's. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Um, but all of that's done so that we can focus on God, yeah, present and. The Eucharist, And I I can't help but think about the church's, you know, admonition there. What are we trying to do? We're not trying to take away from the saints, not trying to take away from the Blessed Virgin Mary and her great intercession for all of us. But what we're trying to do is, again, lead us back to that gospel that you were talking about Mm -hmm. that we'll hear this coming Sundays. Our Lord was led into the desert Mm -hmm. for 40 days and 40 nights and fasted and prayed. So that he could live for his father, so that he could show us what it means to live out of love for the father. And so we're kind of getting the chance to do that again in, in a in a much easier way. Like, yeah. we're not in a desert. No, this is not. I'm in a, I mean, an, an air rough. conditioned church. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the statues are covered, oh well. Um, yeah. Cushion pews, normally, no exactly. Cushion kneelers. Right, exactly. So. Um, So in that little way, our senses are being deprived and we're having to kind of endure a suffering. We don't get to see the beautiful images that normally adorn our churches. But um, I I think that's such a a powerful thing. Right. And and I'm wondering for you, because you did grow up in the Midwest where this Catholic culture is more obvious and you couldn't find a church that... That you know didn't have statues covered and mm-hmm. images covered, so well how it struck you? Yeah,
0: and I mean for me, I mean I, I didn't see it when I was younger so much as this is the church's way of trying to help me focus on on Christ more. Um, what what I took from it, and no one really actually explained it to me, like like right. it's, okay, the church is doing this for the purpose of really trying to funnel all of our attention focus interior exteriorly, to Christ, but. I took it as, man, I miss them. Mm. So I loved it on on uh, you know Easter Sunday, or if you go to the vigil on Saturday right. night, and the bells are ringing, and, and right. all the all the cloth comes off the statues. Mm-hmm. Oh, that that was exciting. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, they're back. Hey, right. hey like, guys, just go back into the room. Hey, right. how's it going? gone. We're hanging out. We're together again. Yeah, you know, it's a very simple way of putting it, but it is a deep appreciation. What I would help. What it helped me do is appreciate the family aspect mm-hmm. of the saints, and also the visual aspect of who we are, our humanity, that we visually, we see things, and we connect when we see. Right. So, you know, and this could be a point of, you know, apologetics for those who claim, you know, you worship Mary, you worship statues, and, this and this. so no, these images help us connect with who this is an image of. Right. And. That is—that's very, very important, very deeply important that we understand that we are a family. And, you know, the whole—the the church broke into the three parts, church triumphant, church suffering, church militant, and so forth. Right. We're the church militant. We're still in the thick of the battle. Church suffering, poor souls, and holy souls in purgatory, and the church triumphant those in heaven. And, and when you cover up those souls that are in heaven, the church triumphant, the saints, you miss them. Yeah. Because they're part of your family. Right, right. So go home and cover your picture of grandma and your mom, your dad, your children, your loved ones— and just leave it that way for a few weeks and then realize, wow, something's missing. And then when you uncover, it, it's, oh, yeah, the relationship. So to me, that was a major part for me was mm-hmm. to help me appreciate the family aspect of who these saints are and what they have done. And then when you go deeper in understanding the saints, then you realize they were focused on Christ. Right. So they're there to help remind me the to point. point to
1: Jesus. Yep. And that's yeah. what they do. And that's uh, that's I really – that's so beautiful, man. I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I – I certainly haven't ever thought about it that way. I, I've, I've begun to think more about what the Church's specific instruction talks about. So on Good Friday, it says you can uncover images mm. of the crucified Lord, right? Which
0: for uh, veneration purposes, prevent, yeah. purposes of veneration,
1: yeah. which makes sense. Yeah. And then on Holy Saturday, um, in anticipation, uh, so sometime before the Vigil Mass, that mm. you can uncover, or in some places where you got a, a really with it priest who can coordinate those pieces like the <laughs> lights come on if the glory of the statues are yeah. unveiled the yeah. bells are ringing like that's a super yeah, that awesome. liturgical moment to yeah. to really let the beauty of all of our senses be engaged fully in what's happening
0: and when you think about it, it this is that's the only moment in the history or excuse me in the entire year that happens. It is, yeah. Uh, one moment right there on Saturday at
1: the Vigil. Boom. It's what the whole church's year builds towards and yeah. you know, pr- rec- proceeds from. It's yeah. it, so we call it colloquially, it's the Super Bowl of 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 the year for us as as priests. Like it's a real tough couple of quarters getting there, <laughs> but the joy of, you know, the Easter vigil, the joy of welcoming, you know, God-willing catechumens into the church, but the whole life of the liturgy comes so fully alive that evening with the fire and everything. So and we're going to actually do an episode on Holy Week itself Mm. later on, so we'll be getting more into those details. But uh, I want to move into just kind of the third part of this and then into the chariot. Um, We've been talking a lot about how the liturgy forms us and informs us and again General Instructions of the Roman Missal anybody can read those they're online for free go to Google put in General Instructions of the Roman Missal you'll come up on or Vatican.va it's there it's in English it's in Spanish it's in Portuguese and French etc. so (laughs) you you got every effort every opportunity to read it but it it speaks more to one of the the great mysteries that I think you and I have experienced in different ways age, circumstances cultures etc. but how the liturgy itself really shapes us as disciples um you know for a a priest or religious we are we are obliged as you mentioned we are obliged to pray the liturgy of the hours but more than an obligation it's an opportunity and it and it at times sometimes rarely for me has it been difficult but more often than not i find it more and more is it's changing little habits in my daily life it's changing habits in the way i I talk to God. It's changing the ways in which I even experience or understand how God's talking to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Liturgy of the Hours, as was encouraged by the Second Vatican Council explicitly and has been consistently since then, is something you can bring into the home. It's something that nobody is not able to pray, right? But it's Mm -hmm. something that's hard to pick up because it requires page turning, and we've got apps now that Literally tell you how to do it, so yeah. it's pr- it's pretty convenient. But, no excuses. Uh, really, no excuses. But the, the just living liturgically itself. Right. So we're letting the shape of the next you know six weeks essentially of Lent shape the way you and I are going to choose to live intentionally every day of our life, and that's something that doesn't need to be limited to Lent. Mm. And, and I'm afraid too often that is one of the sh- one of the, the challenges is kind of we we get this retreat high. Right from Lent, like a lot more people go to daily mass. That's just a statistic fact. Mm-hmm. You'll see that more people go to confessions during this time of year. You'll see, generally speaking, Sunday attendance actually goes up pretty consistently throughout the season of Lent. Ash Wednesday being, of course, the most attended day of mass of the entire year, mm-hmm. um, despite it not being a holy day of obligation. <laughs> um, but, but we'll see that that increase. But then there's the Easter high, and then. And it's like, Mm. no, we've got a whole octave just right there at the beginning of Easter. We've got like eight Sundays in a row, folks. We've got eight days of eating meat and drinking scotch and whatever you're going to do, you know, to enjoy (laughs) yourself, because these are the feasts of feasts. And then, yeah, we kind of trickle into the Acts of the Apostles for the next 43 days until um, the Ascension, and it it gets real challenging. So I want to ask you, just kind of at a practical level, how have you seen the liturgy shape more of your daily life and your discipleship as, as a son of God and as a follower of Christ, and then maybe some recommendations to those, you know, in your state of life who are married, who are people, you know, mm-hmm. who's a man who works and, you know, has to kind of be in multiple places, maybe in a given week, if there's mm-hmm. ways in which you've seen the liturgy help to shape the way you live. Oh, on a number of levels. One, um,
0: the first and most important aspect is the fact that there's there's a, the supernatural grace that comes from that moment. It, you know, receiving our Lord in Holy Communion, coming to assist in in this holy sacrifice of the Mass, there's grace received if we're in the state of grace, mm-hmm. state of sanctifying grace. We receive, in, I mean, uncounted, un, un, unknown number of graces. We have to remember that. So on a, natu- I mean, a supernatural level, that that just has to be a known fact that, that drives us. Mm-hmm. On a natural level, the discipline of knowing, you know, I need this. I need the discipline. We need discipline. We need order. You don't have peace if you don't have order. St. Augustine talks about this. From order, you get peace. From disorder, you get chaos. That's a simple version, but it makes a point. If things are out of order. You got chaos, and so many families are out of order. You want to get your family back in order, get in order with God first. Augustine makes it clear. When you follow the order of God, you're going to find peace. Even in the midst of trials and and crosses and sufferings and, and things that, whoa, well, catch you out of the blue, get laid off of work, a death of a loved one, a sickness, whatever, there will be peace in the, th- in the thick of that, even in the suffering, if we're in the order of God mm-hmm. by being in the state of grace. And following what the the church teaches, getting to Mass at appropriate times and so forth, you know, a commandment, a third commandment to Mass on on Mm -hmm. Sundays and so forth, and precept of the church. Now, all that being said, beyond that, the readings and the homilies. And face it, we know not every homily is is a barn burner, you know, home run. But you can find something. Mm -hmm. You can find some word in there, some, some sentence, some point that Father's trying to make that you can walk out of that that Mass with and it can it can change your day mm-hmm. and so for me I look for those things I, I look for that I'm going to try to find something positive it's too easy to go to Mass and complain Father is boring Father Somley right. was this like get off of that that bus that's just going to drive you right off a cliff that is not how to live your life we live our life looking for the positive trying to find the light and the good where we can right all right and so I, I go to Mass and I'm, I'm looking for those elements I, the grace of course the discipline is important um the the chance to be at peace with God for a few moments there and just take that in and know this, if I were to die here of a heart attack, this is the place to go. Mm-hmm. you know i'm'm I'm, I'm in the presence of our Lord. But then to find those day to day things, how does it change my day? How does it change my week? I take those nuggets, those, those statements that come in the homily or that one something from that one reading and I I want to apply that mm. but this is choice, you know, Father, I have to tell myself, and I would tell everybody out there listening, look, you choose this or you choose not. You choose to do it or you choose not to do it. Right. But this isn't something where you go to mass and you expect to receive all this by osmosis. Look, I'm in the building. Therefore, I'm <laughs> going to get this and walk out, and I didn't have to do anything for it. That's like going to the weight room and thinking you're going you're to get stronger and healthier because you just walked in right. and, you, and you touched the bar. Ooh, 45-pound bar. Took a towel. I, and then I toweled off a little bit. No sweat. But, you know, I'm still going to grow from this, right? No, you're not. So going to Mass, walking into the church and being present and then walking out and choosing to take with you the natural aspects of the readings and, and the homilies and so forth in that moment, and then in embracing and trying to live by the grace that you could have received at that moment, it, it's a choice. That's how I see it. Yeah. It's a choice. Is it going to change my day and my week if I let it, Right. if I choose to embrace it, if I choose to own it? Otherwise... I'm just clocking in and clocking out. You know, you right. put your hand in the holy water font you walk in and match your clock in. You walk out after match, you clock out, holy water font. And that's where a lot of people are. That's where I was
1: for years. Sure. Until I chose to embrace it and make it my own. Right. Well, we've got a beautiful opportunity, I think, coming up with, with this season of Lent. And uh, we want to just encourage all of our listeners and viewers to to really be considering how silence is going to be integrated into your your lent uh, obviously the the recommendations are there for the liturgy itself but also what are you doing at home how are you embracing more silence at home how are you living joy in an authentic way um, where is that joy, source of joy is joy coming you know i i've, I've got nephews and nieces and grandnephews and and uh, one of our coworkers here just had a, a sweet little baby boy. And, you know, I find a, a sincere and deep joy in children and, mm. and, and holding a baby and, you know, listening to my nephews and nieces talk about what's going on in their life. And and that's that's an authentic joy that comes from, you know, sharing in the communion with one another through the gift of the church and through Christ. But, but being conscientious, too, that even though these are goods and th- these are joys that I mm. sincerely desire and want to have, uh, the, the, my greatest joy— comes from our Lord that we need to continue to, to cultivate that through yeah. our through our Lenten uh, disciplines but can I, can I go ahead, comment please? real quick yeah.
0: Father on that point about what we take to our homes um, take this opportunity yeah. I encourage everybody you know and this is what I've tried to do over the years my wife and I is um, you know get rid of cable, get rid of your satellite, you know, or, or cut way back on it. Shut mm-hmm. the TV off, get a cabinet. The ca- the, my TV cabinet at home is not an entertainment center. We have entertainment centers because entertainment becomes the center of our life. Mm-hmm. I have a cabinet with doors on it. And if I'm not watching the TV, the doors are closed. I want Great. it out of sight, out of mind. Right. It's been that way for years. I don't want that TV to be a central part of my life. I don't want entertainment. I don't want worldliness in general. I want, as you just described, the little baby, the children, the time with your loved ones, your spouse, and so forth. You know, make time happen that way in your mm-hmm. home. And I'm, I'm telling you out there, everybody listening and watching, this is a choice. You don't just walk in the house and say, okay, fix it, Lord,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then boom, it happens. Angels come in, start rearranging furniture, you know, doing this and that.
1: We wish. No, exactly.
0: Correct. Yeah, Give me that heavenly injection, Lord, then I'll feel like doing it. No, we have to choose. We know it's the best thing to do to pull back from the world mm-hmm. and in, and engage more in the encounter with the living God personally and then through others as well. Mm-hmm. Our loved ones in particular, my wife, my children, my grandchildren are first and then everybody outside after that, but it starts in that home. But I just encourage people, shut the TV off, shut the computer down. A little more often, right. you know, put the phones down with all the screens and the games right. and all this. Spend time, have meals together, look at one another. Play a little music in the background, a little ambiance music, that's mm-hmm. fine, you know. But let's communicate with one another. Look each other in the eyes, shake hands, hug, right. be together.
1: Right. Uh, and then be intentional about if you are going to be doing something on a screen what's it actually for? And, yeah. and is this benefiting me? Is this helping me to grow as a saint, helping me as a businessman or, you know, whatever it may be, but just not being wasteful of that time. And, and
0: Which makes it more, in- you're intending to
1: do it for right. a particular purpose. It's a volitional choice.
0: R- correct. Once again. And if there's a little recreation, like I want to play a word, you know, a, a word puzzle or something, mm-hmm. okay, fine. But don't let it dominate you. Right. And don't let it override the more important uh, other people in right. particular, and God. Your right. Life. I
1: thought I Pope Francis just the other day, I think this was on Sunday at Los Angeles. Uh, was talking about, you know, all the fasting from chocolate and beer and whatever else. If it doesn't lead to love of neighbor, then it's in vain. And then, he's right on the yeah, head, He hits the point right true, on the head. Sure, absolutely. He so often does, you know, he's got these zingers that come from a, a South American that, you know, any American bishop would probably be afraid to say, but he's just like, there it is. <laughs> but it's true. Like, the fasting, the mortifying of our senses, the the intentional prayer, and the almsgiving that is part of the tradition of our, our life during Lent, it is to lead to a fraternal charity. It is yeah. to have a, a an aspect of going to the other, and Lent in the home needs to be lived that way. We had a great mm-hmm. podcast episode last week with Mickey and Luke Arredondo on Lent in the home, um, and so I'd encourage people to go back and maybe watch that or listen to that if you haven't already. Um, but taking what we're experiencing in the in the church and and kind of our, our spiritual home mm-hmm. and bringing it into our domestic homes into domestic churches, um, you don't need to have uh, your stat you know all your images covered weeks five and six during Lent. It'd be cool if you you know yeah. if you wanted to cover like the images of our Lady and our Lord or the images of your grandma and your grandpa, whomever. But you know, in that sense, you can enter into that a little bit more. You can take the time to, uh, as I was talking about, maybe at dinner to be. Looking at the, the daily readings or the Sunday mm-hmm. readings to have that conversation with your kids, um, and and to be conscientious of how that leads to, and you're wanting to do something more intentional for um, the poor, or or to visit people in the nursing home, or to right. make some act of intentional love towards towards your neighbor. But we we want the liturgy to continue to, to shape us throughout the year, and so we'll, we'll get to this during the Easter season, kind of looking at what's the what's the distinctions. Um, and ha- how we celebrate during the, during that time of the year. But what I kind of want to finish on, and then we'll go into the chariot, is just to pay attention, the easiest thing in the world to do, um, I think, in the midst of all this busyness that we are involved in, is to pay attention to the daily readings during mm-hmm. the season of Lent. They are a roadmap for holiness. Um, you don't have to go to Mass to hear them, although I'd encourage that's the best place to hear them. Sure. Um, but there's apps, there's websites, et cetera, that will, will give you the daily readings. Um, but seeing the journey of the church through the eyes of the liturgy and seeing the journey of yourself as a, as a disciple um, following Christ through the sacred liturgy, really letting the readings drive that home for you. Um, so we're going to turn now just a couple minutes of basics of Into the Chariot, you know, how to, qu- how to put what we've been talking about into practice, um, and I first, I'm going to challenge the priest real quick. Um, I don't get to do that often enough, but uh, <laughs> one of my friends today, he's like, hey, that was a good recommendation, so here we go. Um, <laughs> guys, and maybe liturgical music ministry people too, if you're listening, use the antiphons for the masses during this time of year. Don't do the four hymn sandwich don't force people to sing unnecessarily long songs that are arduous and painful. Use the entrance antiphons, use the the communion antiphon, the offertory. Like these are the words of scripture. They're not hard, and in fact, they're relatively easy to chant. Um, but that's also going to help you bring more silence into the into the sacred liturgy itself, because they unto themselves are not supposed to last a long time. It's 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 a kind of a a little maxim that comes out of the Psalms or it comes out of the New -hmm. Testament or Old Testament that just gives you a thematic idea of what the days, you know, or what that moment of the Mass is about. It complements the action of the liturgy. So I want to encourage my brother priests to really consider that and talk that over with their um, sacred musicians. And then more broadly, just for everybody, cool thing is, so Lent is 40 days. It's really like 48 days. Um, And then Easter's 50 days. So it's about 90 days. Well, guess what? Research shows it takes about 90 days to build a good habit, Mm. right? We got Exodus 90 going, we got all these things going. So maybe, here's an idea take the 90 days of Lent and Easter to develop one new consistent habit of Mm. prayer. Nice. And we've talked about it before, it's no problem. We'll plug it again. I'd encourage the Rosary. Amen. Maybe it's just a decade for 90 days to get in the habit of doing it daily. Yeah. But you've got 90 days to build up a good habit. And in the meantime, also, destroy some vice.
0: Yeah, that's good. So that's it the, for me. Get rid of the bad, bring in the good. Yep. I, I want to say this, too, especially to husbands and fathers out there. You, by, by the authority of God given to you as a husband and father, and claim that authority, you are the spiritual head of your family. Claim that authority. Be that spiritual leader, that spiritual head. Make sure you're letting the demons know by the way you live that you're on point and you're you're fighting mm. that fight for your loved ones. Set the bar in your family. Set it a little higher during Lent, a little higher. And then, as you mentioned, Father, hopefully that becomes the habit and it just becomes the norm. Have the conversations with your kids. I've talked with my kids for years off and on. Sometimes it's a subtle conversation. Sometimes it's a more sit down, we're going to talk for a half hour about something, we got, means, which means I have to know my stuff. I can't talk to my kids about something I don't know about. Hmm. So I've got to study it, learn it myself, read it myself, understand it, what this saint said, what this pope wrote, what, this church, what the church teaches here about this. I have to learn it. I have to study it. But then share it, teach it to your kids, and, and, and guide your wife in it as well. Maybe your wife knows more than you do on certain things because she's going to Bible study and she's reading Scripture more, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you're not the spiritual authority of the home and of the family. So we need to take that back, that, that spiritual authority we mm-hmm. may have conceded you know, to the devils or or to the world. We need to establish this home belongs to God, and when I die and stand before God, I will be asked how I led those in this home, mm-hmm. how I ran this home, more so than our wives, men. We are going to be asked that. Wives, you are... The battle partner, in fact, uh, the, in, in the Greek, I think, uh, uh, back in Genesis when Eve is created, the, the words are ezerkonegdo. Mm-hmm. means me, really means battle partner, right? battle buddy. We're in this together. All right? So my wife, is, my friend says, you know, my wife's my little sniper. So when I'm on the <laughs> battlefield, she's at the high ground picking off the demons from a distance with prayer and fasting yeah. for me. So ladies, you are just as much part of this, but the father, husband, you're the spiritual head. And ladies, you are the one that makes us men be the men we're called to be. You you mm-hmm. you affect us more than anything else on this planet. So ladies, build up your husbands and fathers to be that spiritual leader. Men, be that spiritual leader.
1: Absolutely. Well I appreciate it so much, as always, Doug. We enjoy you know getting to do this with yeah, each other. It's great and, working with your Father. Um, we want to encourage all of you who are listening or who are watching to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, and to iTunes. Uh, these are great venues in which you can experience the podcast and a lot of our other media productions here for the St. Philip Institute. And if you have questions uh, or future episodes you'd like to hear about, please send us an email at podcast at stphilipinstitute.org. We want to give thanks to God for this great season of Lent that's upon us and ask for our bishop's blessing.
0: The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the
1: Holy Spirit. Amen.